Laura. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. That's right, we're podcasting. The garbage pail of the arts. So Connor, is What a Way to Go a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Should be remade. 100%. Absolutely. Nice. Alright, cool. So for people who don't necessarily know your voice off the top of their heads. Uh, Connor Pritchard, introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, Connor Pritchard. I'm a screenwriter, showrunner, writing coach, and I guess community mentor for my new business. But um, I think that counts. Yeah. I think, I think you can list that. Yeah, community mentor. I'm a professional mentor. <laughs> yeah, and I'm from San Francisco, California. And I came down here and started doing the PA grind and started making my own content and producing comedy shows. And that led to Workaholics, which ran for seven seasons. And I kind of grew up working on that. And then the next one, uh, I sold another show and became a showrunner, which was for Pop TV, which no longer exists. But I made a fun aerobics comedy. We were promised that once you pop, you can't stop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, their, uh, their network just popped. Um, but that was fun. Uh, I got to shoot a, uh, comedy show in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is four time zones away. I learned a lot about working on Canadian productions, met a lot of great people. We had a great cast and now I'm kind of pitching a bunch of new shows and I started a company called only writers, which is private, um, subscription based social media for screenwriters and storytellers. It's kind of coaching and community all in one. And now we are starting, just in the early phases, to make our own content. So the goal is to build a big collective-owned studio. And I'm a part of that community, and it's super fun, and I'd love to talk about that more. But first, I have not been to Halifax, but I I dual citizenship with Canada. My dad's from Montreal, uh, and I have family that still lives in Toronto. My co- my cousins went to college in Halifax, and I did a road trip, I don't know, 10 years ago through New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and we did like a few days in mm-hmm. Cape Breton, and just like that area of the world is so cool and gorgeous. It is. It's fantastic to shoot a Stephen King kind of horror movie, but if you're making comedy, yeah. and especially comedy that's supposed to be set in America, it was really hard. As a showrunner, we had about we had a list of eighty words in our offices that we couldn't put into scripts because the accents there are so thick that they almost sound Scottish. So we would wow. cast like a a bartender or a server or just a bit part, and there was like close to a hundred words that we couldn't put into scripts because it would just reveal that thick Halifax accent, but. That's really amazing. Fun. Yeah, it was really fun. They have great crews up there, and that's where Trailer Park Boys started. So there's a good local industry. It's a beautiful place. Plus, it's one of the only places in the world where you can get a McLobster. Yeah, can you really? <laughs> yeah, I think New Brunswick, Nova Scotia are the only places in the world where McDonald's serves a lobster roll. Yeah. 
I tried it. It was fine. Yeah. High-end lobster. Food's yeah, good. absolutely. Food's really good there. Yeah. It's so good. Like, if anyone has the opportunity to go, fucking do it. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah. So we're talking about 1964's What a Way to Go, Char- Charring, starring Shirley MacLaine and Paul Newman and Robert Mitchum and Dean Martin and Gene Kelly and Robert Cummings and Dick Van Dyke. And it's so many people. This is a movie that was on like my list of movies I eventually want to get to. And I apologize to whoever's listening. I don't remember who suggested I put it on this list. But Connor, you picked it. Had you previously seen this movie? Yes, this is, so I come from a family of storytellers. Like my dad was a comedian. My mom ran a comedy club. And when I go home, one of the activities that I do with my mom is we make popcorn, open up a bottle or two of wine, and we watch old movies. So this is one of her absolute favorites. She has been telling me to remake this movie for years. (laughs) Really not the right person to make this movie, but it's one of her favorites. And I've, I've seen it a few times before this. It's uh, it was it was really fun. I watched it uh, with former guest of the show, uh, Caitlin Rogers, and we both just and part of the reason I'm glad I watched it with Caitlin is because Caitlin is a costumer. Cool. And this was a movie with like one of the foremost, if not like the most famous costumers ever in <laughs> this is really embarrassing. Edith Head. Edith Head. And she was who, specifically brought in by Shirley MacLaine. It was a $5 million budget and 500000 of that just went to the costumes alone. I mean, it kind of shows. Yeah. There was Edith Head doing costumes, and then we kind of talked about it when we were watching the credits. There was a, 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 a gem guy. Like, yeah. there was someone credited with just, like, being in charge of the gemstones. Yeah. Then the, the man's name was Moss Mabry. He did the when, uh, the men's wardrobe, and it was really cool. So they had two different costume designers for the cast. But yeah, it's, I mean, it really shows that was kind of one of the most flashiest parts of this movie. But yeah, that's what I loved about it. It was, it's splashy, it's opulent, it's decadent, it's fun, it's silly, it's dark humor because it's just playing with death, which... I would think at that time is pretty cutting edge, but it just feels so classic Hollywood. And even the colors alone are like something about that old film grain just looks is very comforting. Yeah. And it's interesting that the entire movie is kind of a comedic twist on like the black widow trope. Yeah. It's just, it, it was really interesting for, so I've mentioned this movie to a, a lot of different friends and a lot of people I know have not heard of it. So we should do like a quick synopsis rundown of the movie. I'm happy to do it unless Connor, you're like, I have it. Go for it. I'll support if needed. So the movie starts with uh, Louisa May. Well, no, the movie starts with her walking down what appears to be the set from Auntie Mame, but she, uh, Louisa May in like mourners outfit grieving shows up to the IRS with a check for over $200 million that she's trying to give to the IRS. And because they clearly think she's nuts, they immediately put her in therapy, but it turns out the check was real and she's for real. And she's had four different husbands, all of whom have become wildly rich and have left their money to her when they've all died. 
none of those deaths she's responsible for. And she slowly walks us through each of those uh, lives. So the first husband is the poor guy in town. She grew up in Crawleyville and Leonard Lenny Crawley is who she's kind of engaged to, but she hates him. And she's instead much more interested in Hopper. Where's Hopper on my Edgar list? Edgar Hopper. Edgar Hopper. Thank you. And Edgar Hopper runs like the open one day a week, small town store. And she's like, yeah, but he's just living life and doing things. And so in one of two, maybe three acts of agency in the entire movie, Louisa sneaks up on Hopper and says, Hey, we should go out. And then they end up getting married in secret and Crawley finds out in the newspaper. They have a little while of time where they're wonderfully happy together, but then Crawley makes fun of them and Hopper's like, I'll show that guy and works really hard and becomes so successful that he replaces Crawley as like the most successful guy in town, but works himself to death. Yeah. Husband one. Yeah. What happens with husband two? So there's two kind of, there's a story hook here and a formula that's basically every time she falls in love, the person is not doing well, they start to do better and then they die. Right. That's like the story hook. Yes. And then the craft mm-hmm. hook is that every time we jump from husband to husband, it enters a new film genre. So they're spoofing a new film genre, which is really yeah. fun. Um, so the second There was style- so much of watching this movie where I was like, I don't think I'm educated enough to watch this because I like I got like the genre of film they were doing, but then like they do other really specific things. I'm like, I know this is a parody or making fun of something, but I don't know what it's making fun of. Yeah. And I don't appreciate this joke as much as I probably should. Yeah, it's so. like, yeah, silent films, French sexy films. It's big budget musicals. It kind of brings us through the whole gamut of probably what was popular at the time. But the second mm-hmm. stop is in Paris. She's uh, grieving. She wants to go get away and experience something new. She jumps in a cab and literally the most handsome man in the world. I, would, I don't think there's a better looking human being. Paul Newman is playing uh, an American expat um, in France. <laughs> the great. face that could the face that could sell a thousand island. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, he's so good looking in this movie, and um, he's a French uh, cab driver and a starving artist. And the joke here with him is he's a starving artist, but he's eating in every scene, literally every scene. Yeah, his name is Larry Flint, and he has all of these kind of wacky methods of how he creates art. He has like a chimpanzee paint. He has these like weird Rube Goldberg machines, but he's in it for the art. And he's got a great line. It's like money corrupts, art erupts. So that's kind of his mantra. And then, of course, she is not aware of this formula that she is the kind of muse to these people and they're about to get famous. So she helps him fix this machine. She helps him put a record player in this Rube Goldberg machine that uses robotic arms to paint. And of course, it becomes a masterpiece. Robotic arms that respond to sound. Yes, exactly. So he had been making boom, crash, shattering a bunch of different things. And she was like, well, what? Let's just put on this song, this popular song from today. Yeah. And it makes the most beautiful art. Yeah. And he gets tempted by the money and power and has a huge rise to fame and becomes high society kind of artist and then dies. Yeah. He died. His robots turn on him and kill him. And it's. (laughs) amazing yeah. <laughs> it was my favorite thing that happened yeah 
there's also a moment before, like when she kind of realizes how cool and artistic that Larry Flint is, like they're caught kind of having this conversation and they're talking and then there's gunfire and everyone starts running towards it. Oh my God. And they go around a corner and it's another member of kind of like the artist commune. And it's this, uh, it's one of the only other women in the movie and her name is Polly. And she's hung up bags, like balloons full of paint and she's shooting the balloons with guns and like Tommy guns and everything to pop the paint. And that's how she's making her art. Yeah. It was a great scene. Yeah. It was uh, quite possibly one of the best characters and one will be, that will be relevant for my pitches for the remake. Nice. Ooh. Which is why I wanted to make sure we didn't skip her, but I'm sorry, continue. And so the, what's fun about this is when they enter this new sequence with each husband the film takes on a new kind of stylistic look and there's always a little mini montage with the French one with Paul Newman. It's kind of like black and white and sexy and then this little Paris apartment. So it's just fun. They always kind of have like almost a music video wedged in between each of these love stories. And part of what's drawing Louisa to these different men is that she talks about how like they're, they're kind of the opposite of Leonard Crawley. Like she never wanted to be rich Honestly, she just wants to not be lonely. She just wants these guys to hang out and spend time with her. And she just wants to not be alone. And poor people spend a lot of their time together. And that's really what she's into. And as these guys become more rich, they spend more and more time away from her. And she becomes more and more miserable and begrudges the wealth even more. So the third husband, she finally meets someone who's already rich. And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, I can't ruin him. He's already rich. It'll be fine. And that is Rod Anderson Jr. And he's just a business guy who has a private plane. And he, like, Louisa misses her flight and Rod flies her back to New York like a gentleman. And they end up, she never makes it back to her hotel and they end up getting married. And she's like, my curse can't happen for him. But then, like, she finds that he keeps crying out at night and he's secretly miserable. And so she gets him the one thing he always wanted, which is, a farm, yeah. which she's thrilled by because, hey, we get to be poor again, despite the fact that, like, the montage that she had with him is her in all these Edith head dresses and, like, the most extravagant gowns she could <laughs> that could be found oh, yeah. or made up. In that sequence, they have one of the best props I've ever seen. It is a giant martini glass that turns into a waterbed with, like, bubbling... Yeah. I was like, is that still around? Like, is that in a warehouse somewhere? That thing was incredible. That was the coolest prop. (laughs) Like, it was an entirely empty soundstage with just that prop. And you're just like, this prop is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Incredible. They go back, they're on the farm, and then uh, Rod Anderson Jr. is killed when he tries to go milk. Yeah, there's a big part to this arc where he comes from a maple syrup family. And they don't really explain this, but... That was his family's business, and for some reason, because he loved maple syrup, he never drank, and he never touched alcohol. And then when they moved back to the farm, he starts drinking with all his like good old-time farmer buddies in the overalls. He's drunk. It's his first day on the farm. He walks out to milk the cows. It's actually a bull, so he tries to milk a bull. And then it's not, it's not Melissa, it's Matthias. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's like, oh yeah. no, Matthias! Yeah. He's kicked across out of the barn and dies that way. Yeah, what an epic death scene. It's just like a ragdoll version of uh, Robert Mitchum in like overalls and he flies and then lands in a trough and, and dies. Yeah. 
So, oh my God, a third husband's dead. Louisa truly is cursed. She's she's committed to spending the rest of her life alone so she doesn't accidentally kill again. And that's when she meets Gene Kelly, Pinky Benson. Great name. Who is a, a dinner theater clown. Yeah, at some kind of American-Italian restaurant, they're serving green beans and hash browns and potatoes and french fries. Couldn't figure that out. But yeah. they hire him because they don't want the performer to disrupt the, the kind of guests. So he's playing a, you know, kind of a dumb clown act mm-hmm. and uh, never had uh, aspirations to be famous. He left his wife, who was his partner, musical partner, uh, because she wanted to be famous and she was full of ambition. So she kind of goes, okay, this is the guy. He doesn't want the big life. And then they're late for a birthday party. And I think it's his birthday party. Yes, his birthday party. He has to perform at the restaurant. So she goes, just don't put on the costume this time. Go down and perform. And he goes down and just woos the crowd with like a Sinatra tap dancing, beautiful. He tries to do his jokes, but like he feels uncomfortable without his mask of the being a clown. Yeah. And so in lieu of being able to be the character that he's been for X number of years, he's just like, well, let me just sing a song instead. And it's Gene Kelly. So it goes well. Yeah. It's really cute. It's a cute uh, moment. And so they... Especially because you can see Louise in the background and she sees what's happening and she's like, oh, no, not again. Yeah. That's a fun part of this movie is she kind of... Once she gets clued into the formula of what's happening, then she's trying to prevent it, but it still backfires on her. There's some fun comedy there. They move to, he doesn't get famous immediately, but then they move to a Hudson Valley houseboat and we get the kind of whole like fun musical, old timey musical setup. But then of course, because of the formula, he gets hugely famous and becomes a megastar and they move out to Hollywood. And he is directing movies and is upset that he's only getting paid 25 million for a picture in 1964. Yeah. And, and is so devoted to his fans. Like they're trying to leave and he's like, no, my fans want to see me. And he calls out to like a stadium full of fans. Like here I am the guy of the hour. And they're like, Oh my God, Pinky Benson and trampled with inner uh, splice cuts of elephants getting trampled, like real, or yeah. elephants stampeding. Um, yeah. There was definitely some very kooky parts to this. They, they had a lot of fun with it. But, yep. And then Pinky Benson goes down down after becoming obsessed with the color pink. Dying Louise's hair pink. Dying the car pink. <laughs> dying the animals pink. Yep. Meanwhile, they go back and forth between the story that she's telling and uh, the psychologist's office, the therapist's office. And, like, the therapist had offered her calming pills that were pink that she'd freaked out about the therapist is realizing oh it's not a curse it's a blessing whoever marries this woman is doomed to become rich and powerful and so at the end the therapist is like well i mean the only other person you described here is crawley and you hated them that's an emotion you could follow that emotion or you could marry me and louise is like i appreciate you willing to risk your life for me which is a very funny line but she's like but the problem is i'm not in love with you and then the janitor comes out and it's uh, it's Leonard Crawley. And she's like, a janitor? Be still my beating heart. Yep. <laughs> and he's had a fall from grace. And he's now been humbled by losing his family business. And he's going on a, he's going on a process of self-discovery. Now he's a humble, hardworking man. 
of course, they immediately fall in love because it's an old-timey Hollywood movie. Correct. And, it's a comedy. Ends with a marriage. Yep. And are we going to give away the, the spoiler at the end? Or Sure. Why not? Okay. Yeah. That she has four kids, each of them named after the other husbands. Yeah, that's great. So then we cut to they're back in Crowleyville or Hooperville, whatever it's called now. And he's a Hopperton. Hopperton. Yeah. He's a hard. No, it's not. It, it's still Crowleyville. But... Well, wasn't it changed to Hopperville? Because Hop- he was, Hopper he said on... that he want he, this whole town's going to be called Hopper Town or Hopperville or whatever. But then he dies. So I don't think it ever happens. Never did it. So they're on the farm. She has this nice, rustic, idyllic life. Um Crowley, a.k.a. Dean Martin, is out reading Thoreau on his tractor, plowing the fields. He gets distracted by reading Thoreau, and he runs over an oil well, and it just shoots up 20 feet into the sky, and there's a rumbling, and she runs outside and goes, oh my God, happened again. Like, we struck it rich again. You have this moment where you're like, oh, it's going to be a very downbeat moment and she's cursed. And then uh, two people who work for the oil company come pulling up in a truck and they go, you just you just drilled into our oil well, you dummy. This is our oil. And then they're both relieved. And the end of the movie is this weird moment where they're holding the baby and then just kissing each other covered in oil as they kind of do the big Hollywood zoom out. That like they've covered the, like you watch her cover the baby's face in oil and you're just like, oh man. <laughs> yeah pretty funny yeah it's it's a fun ending and it's a fun twist on the ending because you're like you think it's gonna be oh here we go again but it's not and it's a lovely hollywood ending yeah and yeah that is what a way to go so let's start with what are some of your favorite things about this movie like you've been watching this movie with your mom yeah for a long time what are the what like going back rewatching it over and over again what are the things that are important to you that we keep that are your favorite aspects of the movie Well, I think I love the craft conceit of jumping and spoofing into different genres. And audiences now are so well-versed in all the types of story we're telling. Um, Lots of times, you know, they're even ahead of movies that they're watching because we know plot structure so well. So I think just the Mm -hmm. idea of spoofing all these different kind of movies and finding a way to spoof the ones that are popular now and the, the dark, morbid humor of it all, I think was really funny. I think you know, the modern audience, you could, they had some cute death scenes, but I think you could really ramp up the kind of nature of those death scenes and and have some really fun ones, kind of more unexpected, a little more gruesome. Yeah, I definitely, after I kind of realized what the formula was with the second one, I predicted every single death as we're sitting and watching movies, like, oh, he's going to be killed by his robots. He's going to be killed by the cow. Uh, He's going to get run over by the fans. Like, it's not difficult to predict. It's fun, but it's not. It's nineteen sixty four. It hadn't. It there were. It wasn't breaking any molds yet. And I thought there was some bite to the script, like for that time. Like there were some pretty funny lines. My favorite line in the whole movie was when Leonard Crowley, Dean Martin, was talking about Louisa's mother in law. She's like, "How did you come for your mother? It looks like your mother was probably dropped off on the doorstep in a cage." <laughs> it's like such a good. <laughs> Yeah, brutal was insult. So, harsh. <laughs> <Yes>. so mean. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, I think making it edgy, keeping the spoofing of genres. You know, we have. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it's not this movie without that. Yeah, like you can do a, a Black Widow story about anybody, but you for it to be what a way to go. You need the spoofing of the various genres. Yeah, 
And we'll talk about what genres you want to do, but in a minute. In terms of things that we should change, what are some things that irk you? Like when when your mom talks talks about you remaking this movie, Connor, my sweet baby boy, when you go and you remake, this is what I sound like for sure. Yeah. When you go to remake, what a way to go. Yeah. This is what you need to do. Well, the first one is you got to diversify the cast. Absolutely, yes. You, you have to, I think, mix up the spectrum of love, you know, mm-hmm. play with some of the genders. And I think you have to make, you, you hinted at it earlier, but you have to make her more active, right? Like we kind of got to... Yeah. She's kind of just escaping one love story to the next, but to figure out a way to activate her more in this journey would be another yeah, big the, one. The biggest issue with the movie, as I saw it, is that Louisa May, Foster, Hopper, Crawley, Dave, like uh, Flint, <laughs> Anderson, Benson, is essentially just kind of letting everything happen to her. She doesn't really have an active hand in anything after she swims over to go start dating Edgar Hopper while he's fishing. And I think that's a problem because like she's the main character, but like once we start following the husband, she becomes a background character. She just hangs out at the house alone while all this is happening uh, behind the scenes. and And that's a problem. Especially because, like, she's not, like, her whole big issue is, I don't want to be alone. And then she just, like, lounges around in various Edith Head swimwear. Yeah. yeah heightening she, levels of impractical swimwear. She doesn't really have a strong arc. Like, her goal is the goal from the very beginning to the very end. Like, she just does want a simple life. She has to go mm-hmm. through all of these twists and turns to get it but it never really evolves, right? Like her character doesn't evolve. Yeah. Her character doesn't change. Yeah. Ever. No. And so one of the things that I think we need to do is I think she needs to have a more active hand in all of the husband's success because I think their success is because she's supporting them and it's not until she starts supporting their dreams that they become successful. Yeah. Like, the the store Hopper's store doesn't do well until she's working there and she helps it become successful. Yeah. The artist's art doesn't become successful until she becomes their muse. Yeah. The business guy it is miserable and unhappy until she brings joy into their life. And Pinky Benson is a failed artist until someone finally believed in him. Yeah, I think you're right. Like moving her away from the muse archetype to more of like a equal partner and collaborator on all of these ventures is the kind yeah. of best way to make her active. And I, it honestly can be like, it's not that she just has a desire to not be alone. It's just that she's drawn to people who aspire. Like the problem with Crawley is that Crawley's just like, yeah, I mean, I'm rich. What do I have to deal with anything? It's like, I can just go through and just do whatever I want. It's fine. But every other guy has like a dream for lack of a better whatever. And I think you could even get to the end of the movie and she's giving over all the money to the IRS because A, she's like, no one can say it's, you can have a joke of like, no one can say I killed all these guys if I don't even get to keep the money. I don't get to keep the money. So why would I have killed any of them? Because like all of them are famous. And at this point we can't deal with that. Yeah. And you also get to have this fun moment of like, 
at the end, she's like, well, plus now I have a dream and I already know how to be successful in all these different fields. I don't need their money. I'm going to go make mine. That's great. That's a great twist on the ending. I love that. Yeah. She goes, she goes against all of them and goes out on her own and learns how to be alone. And then when she's alone and established herself, learning all that she's done, then the person comes into her life. And she dies. Then we can have whoever comes back be there to support her. Yeah. She supported everyone else. Now someone's there to support her. Yeah, that's great. And then also, too, so, I think you need to spend a little bit more time in the first few scenes with the parents. Like, there was some thematic stuff that I did connect with there with the, like, the mom and the dad and the priest saying money is the root of all evil. But the mom was like, money is the only thing that matters. So you saw the, the inner yeah. conflict laid out. But spending a little bit more time... And you had this amazing prop of like all these different Bible quotes where it's money is the root of all evil. And like it would fall away. And instead of money is the root of all evil, it would just say money is all. Yeah. And there were three different ones and all of them were incredibly clever. And I was like, these are good. This is a good prop. I'm a fan of this. Yeah, it was very clever. This felt like, I, I don't know when Mel Brooks started making movies, but this feels like Mel Brooks watched this movie and like, you know, took it another took the zany comedy like one more level up we also need to have a conversation about time period Mm because at the time it was a contemporary movie i assume we're going to want it to be set in 2022 2023 as well right yeah uh just from pitching for many many years it's you really you're gonna pitch a period piece it's got to be justified so i think this has to be a contemporary movie because you're spoofing what is popular now And it has to be kind of timely. So I think you have to set it in modern day. All right. So then let's go through, before we start getting to casting, we kind of have to quote unquote cast the different characters. Because we have Hopper who kind of like runs a a general store. Yeah. What's the modern equivalent of running a general store? What do you think you want for Hopper? You know, I was thinking kind of like either camping gear or some kind of outdoor activity. I think fishing still works. You know, that it felt like it was almost like a bait and tackle store. And he's very self-sufficient and he's fishing and he's living in a little cabin. But, but you're still thinking like fishing shop as opposed to like an, a, a, a modern equivalent might be like an unsuccessful pop-up. But I think another version could be like one of those highway stores where it's like, oh, look at that small store that clearly got replaced by the mega store, the Walmart. Yep. And like our Crawley could be a Walton, someone who owns the the Walmart or whatever that like completely shut down all the small businesses in the town. But there's one small business left and it's the one selling fishing supplies. Yep. The handmade flies for all the fishing. Like he's, <laughs> he's personally going in and he's, he's getting the feathers. He goes out, he gets all the little bits and pieces and that's, why he thinks he's still around, despite the fact that he's too stubborn to take the, the buyout. Hopper's handmade flies. I like it. Uh, the success leads it to become Bass Pro Shops. Pro shops yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. You, liter- you can yeah. literally have a moment where it's a parody of the Bass Pro Shops and he builds a pyramid. Yeah, there you go. And his death can be he is mummified buy fly fishing equipment in the pyramid somehow that's great because uh, all of his automated walmart uh robots Packaging, i love the robot death. everything yeah yeah he get he gets packaged and mummified inside his bass pro shops <laughs> pyramid that's great she finds him just like han solo just saran wrapped <laughs> like uh you know 
yeah, Labor Day department store discount sale. I love it. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it just says must go at the top of him. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so that's husband number one. Husband number two was the artist, which I think can still be an artist. Yeah, as I was thinking about the plot of this one, yeah, there's a lot of like, politically motivated art now and there's protests all over the world and i think going the banksy shepherd fairy route like the graphic artist who's just in it for the message and the impact you know but then has one of those pieces that just blows up and becomes mega famous so he was in it for the right reasons trying to change the world trying to help people and then one of his graphics and i think the other route to go is the nft route too Someone make it in hard pass. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no NFTs. <laughs> no, those are uh, artistically dead and destroy the planet. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So my twist on this is that she meets Larry Flint and you're like, Oh, look at this guy. He's like the smooth artist. And then she gets drawn in by the, the performance artist of the poly. And it, cause you think she's going to end up getting together with the, with the Larry Flint character. But then the performance art at the explosive, like this this character who's who's so artistic and loud that she's driving everyone else away from her own art. Yeah. But she believes in the message, and that's what actually draws Louisa in. So she's drawn so Larry Flint kind of like gets her attention, but then she's actually drawn to Polly, Got who it. the crazy explosive artist who's like doing the this is a, a terrible reference, but when I was in college, I don't remember how I ended up hearing about this, but I was in college, so I was definitely going to hear about this. There was some performance artist who was, like, doing art where she would, like, be naked and then put, like, an egg full of paint into her vagina, crack it, and then that's what would fall onto the <laughs> onto the canvas. And I just remember hearing about this and going, what? Yeah. I mean, where does the, what's the line between performance art and a sex show, like, that you would see in Amsterdam? Like, doesn't that? <laughs> I mean, she was definitely an exhibitionist of some kind and whatever made her happy, I guess. But like, it's something where it is art, it, it it's art that ends up being more for the artist than for the audience. Yes. Yeah. I like um, the performance artist approach because I think you can get into some really like crazy fun methods of how they come up with it and experimenting. Like what gets turned down for a performance artist uh, artist? That's hilarious scenes of what doesn't yeah. make the cut for the show. <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously the death for this one writes itself as well in that art just becomes more and bigger and bigger and bigger explosive until, until finally the artist themselves gets killed and becomes the art. Yes. That's great. And uh, yeah. Sells for even more. Uh, to add to her Black Widow gold digger bank account. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like that's the one that sells for like because it, it's the fi- it is the finalist of final pieces, so it must sell for so much money. Yeah, and amazing. She has, yeah, she tries to deposit two hundred and eleven million dollars, which at that time was probably a billion dollars more. Yeah, I like that. That's that's the right call. Performance artist who just keeps upping the ante to more and more dangerous, almost like jackass death, death defying stunts. And then he eventually dies and puts himself on a canvas. It's Homer Simpson jumping the Springfield gorge. Yeah. But you know, 
actually dies. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, great. Then, so the the third one is like, well, I, I see what's happening. It's all these poor people. So now I got to be a rich person or whatever. So what are you thinking in terms of like Roy Anderson Jr.? Like what is, what's this modern version? Because again, it doesn't need to change that much. I think you could go like the famous chef route would be a fun option. Ooh. Uh, because there's so there's so many big celebrity chefs now, but it was someone that had a family recipe, you know, grew up with nothing, maybe first generation immigrant, really had the magic when they were younger, started the food trucks and then the restaurants and then invested and just built up to this kind of huge empire, but is unhappy and dead inside and then wants to return back to kind of their roots. I love that. That's great. Yeah, but then falls into the trap of, you know, maybe they were um, drinking or doing substances when they were, like, coming up as a chef, and then they fall off the wagon. So it would have to be someone, too, that would be really fun, could make that comedic. It's hard to make a DUI funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I have some stories. I mean, I've seen stoner DUI be funny because my friends from high school real quick tangent was we're in our hometown they hotbox a car and there was a DUI checkpoint and they thought oh no they were so high they thought people were filming a movie so they literally like pulled up and like were like hey what are you guys filming here and the cops was like you smell like weed you're so high. <laughs> They thought they were like going to get in a movie because there's all these spotlights and everything. And they all got um, driving under the influence, whatever the weed version is. I mean, that's hilarious. That's very funny. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, the easy way is like get drunk and then they like wrap the food truck around a pole. But I feel like we can do better than that. I agree. Because that's expected. And at this point, people are going to be seeing the formula. So how can we be surprising with a food truck death? Yeah. Maybe like they've gotten away from using deep fryers or something and it's like a, a horrible castor oil explosion. They're deep frying something. Have you seen videos of people deep frying turkeys when it goes bad? Oh yeah, the whole thing explodes. Yeah, it's like a it's like a mortar that goes off, just burning oil death. <laughs> She's gotta watch he he turns into the fried food that made his career. <laughs> yeah, like literally like the career was made and it's just uh it's the the like you always know you come to a town that has uh, Anderson brand fried chicken because yeah. you can smell it when you get to town. Yes. And so of course in this deep fried exploding turkey death. Yeah. The entire town smells like this amazing, delicious, fried Rod Anderson Jr. Yes. Rod, fried Rod Anderson. And he should kind of fall like face down on his knees with his elbows out. He just looks like a, just a burnt. Yeah. Chicken. Yeah. And it's, it, it, he's fried so good. You can just, <laughs> it falls right off the bone. Yeah. And if you want to pay homage. And Louisa finds out he died because she smells it. Yes. That's great. <laughs> that's great and if you want to pay homage to the like maple syrup storyline in the original you could go the chicken and waffles route like yeah of roscoe's chicken and waffles yeah yes rod's chicken and waffles Rods. yeah there we go oh my god that's amazing all right cool then we get to pinky benson who is the the failed clown i mean we kind of are doing celebrity with the 
with, with the performance artist. So I feel like this one could be anything modern. Yeah. So this one could be like, what are, what are some of the other things that people fail at? Like it could just could genuinely just be like a writer. Yeah. But don't you and, have to kind of spoof like, the musical? Like, Oh, that's genre? right. Like they, they really, you know, there's different paths to the musical route. Like something goes viral on one of the social media platforms. You could go the voice route or one of those contests, but I guess it would bring up the question of what are the most popular genres today and what would be worth spoofing. Like if you're speaking yeah, so the let's most go popular back. genres, like horror would be a good one too. Yeah. Well, let, let's go back. You're right. We, we skipped over that. So for Edgar Hopper, for the, the roadside fly and tackle fishing, what's, what is the movie what is what are we spoofing with this one? What's the vignette montage? I think this is like the folksy indie movie, you know. That... Yeah, I think it's the uh, the like, what was what's what's who's the filmmaker who did Kajillionaire? Don't know, Kajillionaire. I feel like this is like a Duplass Brothers movie, or but it's basically like it's a indie like mumblecore movie that turns into Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was thinking of Miranda July. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you absolutely do like the, the, the hipster indie core mumble core. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So then we get to the artist and this was kind of making fun of like French films. It's an artist. So <laughs> you know what you could parody with this one is anime. Ah, that's interesting to take it a whole different media multimedia approach. Yeah, just like one of those explosive anime things. Yeah, it it goes into cartoon land. Yeah, because yeah. that's more popular than ever, and yeah. that's also something. And it's and she's an artist, and that's oh, those are all about like artists, and it's <laughs> increasing her power and becoming a bigger, more explosive uh, performance artist. I like that. So then we have the food truck. And that's got to be like Iron Chef cooking competition or Great British Bake Off or something. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I mean, you could shoot it in the like competition format, which could be fun. Feels, yeah. What are what are the other? Not comedy. It's not horror. It's not action. Yeah, maybe you go like the reality style competition there. <laughs> like that's yeah, I mean, so, you can like go reality style competition while also doing Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yeah, there you go. And it's just like an overabundance of just like, like I watched pop star never stop, never stopping uh, last night. And one of the funny things they do is there's a moment where there's like three different competing documentary crews. And you can do that where it's like three different kinds and four, five, six different kinds of different kinds of reality shows all shooting at the same time, because you have the cooking show, the, the keeping up with the Kardashians, the home renovations, the, this, the, that, this, and all of those different things are all filming at the same time. I love it. Yeah. They're filming two shows at once and she even has her own show. And then you could do a whole montage of her trying to get away from the cameraman. It becomes almost like a zombie movie where she just can't, she like runs away upstairs. There's someone in the closet. There's like a Pelco camera and she runs away. There's a drone. They're just filming her everywhere. She can't escape. And as she's trying to run away and she can't escape, it then cuts to an interview of like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get away. No matter how hard I tried. I I just kept running. That's great. I love it. The, yeah, the doc, the, the reality kind of docu series cutaways would be great. 
Yeah. So then the last one you wanted to do is horror, right? And so that's what you want to do for the fourth one? I don't know. I mean, horror is just one of the most popular genres, but I don't know how you would turn... But musical is so cool, but they're not as big today. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that there's a few big ones every year. I, it's the genre but, well, I can't watch. Th- I mean, musicals aren't necessarily... As, musicals are still very popular, but you know what's even more popular is TikTok. Mm-hmm. Internet songs and, like, those sorts of things. And just, like, like, the different clips of the different, like, like TikTokers, like, doing accompanies. And then a third person is accompanying the first two. And then a fourth person's accompanying all three of them. And it's just, like, one of those kind of building musical things. There's no reason why Pinky Benson can't be a musician. Just yeah. a failed musician. Yeah, I agree, because you could... And you could even have them writing the next great musical. Like, they've spent 25 years writing the next great musical, and then Louisa convinces them to release it in clips on social media, and that's what becomes popular. Yep, exactly. And I think you could have fun using the narrative device of the TikTok spoof, and you're going into screens, and then the camera's kind of turning around, you're there... You're pulling out, you're in boardrooms, you're talking to marketing teams. You see this whole meteoric rise. Like they go from, you know, just a few hits to then everything that they do at their family dinner. She has to work in a product. She's like, hey, honey, I'm glad you're home. And like everything starts to feel like a commercial with brand sponsors. It's a yeah. Truman show. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Yeah. It's a reality that's, series. That's very fun. To influencer. Like yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then how does Pinky die? Ooh, man. I, I used to live on Melrose Boulevard and I was walking home from the gym one day and I saw a stampede of people running at me and there was a woman in front and it was Cardi B and they were screaming her name and chasing her down just like that screen. And she like turned the corner in front of me and like ran and got in a SUV and sped away and people were running down the street. So you could go with a pretty similar stampede or the driver's trying to get away from maybe the paparazzi are chasing or people are trying to film them for you know social credit points and they here's what we can do uh if we want to do our version our new take because it's the fans and the haters right yeah and the person pinky benson could be trying to support the fans and mollify the haters. And it's just a massive fight where Pinky gets caught in the middle yes, and gets trapped by like the actual battle between fans and haters this and is, is killed by the fight this is over great. whether Pinky is good or not. So it's a meteoric rise on that social media platform, but then they're forced to enter the, enter the culture wars and they advocate for one brand that was like siding. No, not even. Yeah. I don't even think it needs to be that uh, political. I think it's just, no matter how popular someone is, there will always be an equal amount of hate for that person. Yeah. So they get smashed in like a, they're almost like a protest about them. Like right in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. It's like they make an appearance and people are just there to be like, no, it's like some Star Wars thing. And it's the uh, Star Wars fans versus the Star Trek fans. of like, no, Star Wars is always bad. No, Star Wars is always great. Or the new Pinky surpasses someone as the most followers, and it's those person's fans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have like a, a rival that they pass. That that's also very funny. 
of it's just like, and you could have that be like, oh my God, they finally arrived Taylor Swift and it's the Swifties versus yes. the Pinkies. There you go. There you go. And it's <laughs> the ultimate showdown. Yeah. And just, that's also and great. Just I love that. Cameo shot of Taylor Swift rolling up her like limo window after they see Pinky get crushed. She just drives away. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Good. And then we already talked about how we want the movie to end. So I think that's our plot of the movie. Is there anything else you can think of that we're missing? No. I mean, we'd probably got to think about the theme a little bit. Like, to me, the theme in this one was money is the root of all evil. There's a lot of money trauma. Mm -hmm. Money is all. The kind of family dysfunction around money and the different motivations. But maybe this is more about ambition or fame or influence, ego. I think it would be like ego and ambition can be like like you can get caught up in like ego and ambition and like devaluing yourself in favor of the thing you're making yeah or anonymity versus fame like she just wants to live a simple anonymous life and you know she has all of the if we cast a she she has all of the abilities to become famous or use her talents but she just wants something simple maybe because that's what ruined her parents marriage yeah yeah, I like it. Cool. All right, so then let's talk about who we want our our people to be. Let's talk about our casting. So when we first sat down, you were like, I have an idea for like putting this person in the movie. Are you still thinking like basing the movie around that particular actress? Well, uh, do you want me to say the name? Yeah, okay. now's the time yeah, for that. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking like the simple choice of who is the modern Shirley MacLaine that, you know, can kind of play cute and folksy or kind of big time. And I, the first thought was Emma Stone, probably just because they're both redheads and they look alike. <laughs> A little bit. I think she can tonally shift pretty well. I think that's true. I think Emma Stone would be excellent in this if we went with Emma Stone. Yeah. Who do you think? I knew you were coming in with Emma Stone, so I wanted to not necessarily just passively accept that. I wanted to give you a little bit of run for that money. And so my counter to Emma Stone is Janelle Monet. Ah, that's a good one. She can do, yeah. And she's been in serious dramas. She can do mm-hmm. all of the singing, dancing, TikTok stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to necessarily decide that. We can certainly come back to who our Louisa would best fit with the, with the world we create around her. But the next cast I have is Dr. Victor, in my case, Victoria Stevenson. Well, real quick, if we ever made this movie, Sam, it might take on the life of how this was made because it was originally written for Marilyn Monroe and then she died. And then oh. they brought on Elizabeth, what's her name? The big famous Taylor. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. And then there was a whole other cast attached, like Frank Sinatra and all these other huge stars. And then she backed out. It was. Elizabeth Taylor, Frank Sinatra, Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, and Tony Curtis. They backed out. And then the producer, directors, and writers poked fun of her, those two people, with the Cleopatra set, making fun of it. So it was like a little subtle dig, like, oh, you didn't want to be in our movie. Oh. So, yeah, it might you might have to cast, and then who knows what could happen. But I, I like the Janelle Monet. I did not think of her, but I think that's she's very versatile. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Did you have someone for the therapist for Dr. Victor slash Victoria Stevenson? That was the hardest one for me. I couldn't. Well, that, no, actually, Leonard Crowley was the hardest one. The, the therapist, I was thinking Rob Lowe. 
<laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. I, I will agree. Leonard was absolutely the hardest. Yeah. That was the one I cast last. Yeah, me too. My, so I wasn't able to do the therapist at all until I gender swapped it because it's this weird, creepy dude. And I realized that the person who I actually want is just like, kind of like a weird, creepy lady. And I've seen this particular actress do this performance that I want in when she was in Mr. Mayor, which wasn't necessarily a great show, but Holly Hunter's performance in it is spectacular. Yeah. And just her being kind of like the very small, very direct, like I'm Holly Hunter and this is what we're going to do. Just was extremely funny to me. And just the idea of like Holly Hunter at the very end going, well, clearly you should marry me. That's creepy coming from a guy, but from Holly Hunter, you're just like, oh, sweetie, no. Yes. That's great. Uh, Yeah. You could go the, Holly Hunter, Jillian Anderson, Tilda Swinton, anyone that's kind of played. Um, Tilda Swinton would be very funny. Some of those. Yeah, you could just see Tilda Swinton in some kind of swanky therapist office with all of the, you know, one of the jokes, like a running joke through the whole movie was this big therapist bed could spin and raise and there's all these stupid pratfalls and physical comedy around it. An argument for Tilda Swinton over Holly Hunter would be part of the aspect of what made the therapist funny in the movie as it exists was the therapist had to come to grips with the fact that occasionally he was wrong. Yeah. Holly Hunter would never be wrong about anything in her entire life, and she'd certainly never admit to it. But Tilda Swinton could just be shattered by the realization that she was wrong not only once, but twice in a single interview. (laughs) My God. Yeah. We should go with Tilda Swinton. That's very, very funny. And you can see her kind of in a, you know, a power suit and, you know, it could even be like a a sensory deprivation chamber. Have you done the floating tubes yet where she's like talking to her and, you know, she's like just floating in the liquid and it's complete darkness. But that's very funny. Like as we cut back from each of the different husbands, it's a different form of ridiculous therapy. Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's amazing. So making Tilda more of a, not a therapist, like a new age life coach and she's using all the different things. exactly. Perfect. I love it. And she's perfect for that. So then let's talk about Edgar Hopper. Edgar Hopper, this one was also tough because I'm like, Dick Van Dyke is so specific and he's so like iconic and yeah. I want someone who kind of like is kind of the lanky thing but also kind of has like the dry of hey here's some comedy for you and the only person I could think of who would be really good at this is someone who was in Mythic Quest and Community and DuckTales and it's Danny Pudi oh yeah I never thought about that but he I've seen him before in person he is like tall and lanky and kind of has mm-hmm. the the could do the physical comedy yeah I went with McConaughey on this one because I could just totally see him. <laughs> you know, they part of this movie, like why it got flat, because they were doing like a very young actress with older leads. So you'd probably want to break yeah. that trope. But yeah, I would push us towards Danny Pudi on this one. Just the character alone of like someone who could be uh, reading Thoreau and running a bait and tackle shop. Like, I mean, I could yeah. see it, but I think he's a little past our, our lead. A little bit. The, the the other big issue is that if you're doing this, it, and if you're really taking advantage of the fact of the comedy in this, if Matthew McConaughey is running this bait and tackle shop, you know there's going to be a Lincoln parked outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we got to keep him staying humble. Yeah, exactly. Good. And, amazing. The spoof of that commercial with Jim Carrey is so good. 
So good. Yeah. So Crawley, the, the hardest one to cast for both of us. Who yeah. did you have for Leonard Lenny Crawley? This was tough. I, I couldn't. I circled a few names, but I went with Chris Pine. I, I think it's someone that you could have being, you know, someone from a small town whose family owned everything and then could actually go on a humbling journey and come back and, you know, figure out who he is. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. I don't know. That one I could not nail. Yeah. I So despite the fact that of what we've done so far, I occasionally try to stray away from pure A-list. And I did that in this case. This particular actor is the lead of a show called Luis Miguel the Series. He's playing Luis Miguel. But I don't know the show. Um, but he was also in Scream Queens. He was in Terminator Dark Fate. He's an actor named Diego Bonetta. Huh. And if you look him up, he's just crazy attractive dude. We don't know him well enough that I think you could have him be the janitor throughout the entire movie and not recognize him because we just don't know who he is. Yeah. Do you but think, I think Chris... some of the appeal of this movie, though, is like this decadent getting as many stars in as you can, like model? I Because th- I, that w- that's the uh, other argument. And I think that's true, certainly for the main four. I don't know. I feel like that's probably true. And I'm perfectly happy going with Chris, Pr- uh, with Chris Pine. Well, it's like, who's the 30-year-old version of Chris Pine? The problem now is as you get into the lower generations, there's not that many movie stars. Like, when you look up all the A-listers, they're 40 and up because the movie star role is disappearing. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Chris Pine is 42 and Janelle Monae is 36. So it's a six-year difference, and that's not that bad. Especially for Hollywood, that's not that bad. Yeah, and I have so some other I'm names. I'm perfectly happy going with Chris Pine. Yeah, for the other ones, but... That might work. And I'm not just saying that because in the last episode, I tried to go with Chris Pine and was shot down. (laughs) And it was fine. I agreed with that choice. It was the right choice. But now in this moment, we get to go with Chris Pine. So that brings us to Larry Flint. So in my version, I have a Larry Flint who then gets replaced kind of by Pauly. Yeah. I kind of came in with that with my casting. I perfectly understand if that's not what you have. Um, So let me tell you about what I did and then tell me about who you had. Nice. So I kind of went in with this person of like, oh, clearly she's going to be dating this guy, obviously. And then she gets distracted by Polly, the the explosive artist. And in my head, I thought it'd be really funny if the guy driving the cab, the person everyone will expect her to date is Pete Davidson. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Pete Davidson. He dates everybody. It just makes sense. But then she gets distracted by Polly, who's played by Alana Glazer. Nice. And you yeah. can just see Alana Glazer just having this incredible energy and just this charisma and this attitude. And like that is just so compelling that it just draws her away from whatever like just standard Pete Davidson stuff's going on. It's just like, oh my God, I will follow this woman till the ends of the earth. That's pretty good. I I went with someone who could look, have like a raw sex appeal like paul newman did could be wearing cut off jeans and a ripped up shirt and look just as good in that outfit as like a fancy suit and and an art thing so i went with kind of like i think our generations paul newman and i went with donald glover yeah donald glover is also really good you could just see donald glover him being a really kind of cool method artist that could be in france because they're kind of spoofing foreign films but you could also set it in new orleans and you could actually do that genre as horror as well like kind of make it creepy southern gothic horror but i'm perfectly happy replacing pete davidson with donald glover and then replacing donald glover with alana glazer there you go what a good misdirect to be like yep here's a new love interest 
nope, it's actually the nope. Yeah, the assistant or the the other person, the friend in this crew. So then we have Rod Anderson and Pinky Benson. Rod Anderson, who did you have for the for our chicken and waffles guy? Oh, <laughs> I went with a weird one on this one. I went with Diddy. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> like, because I was stuck on the like, just try to get as many names in here. But I okay, here's my full list. I was talking. I was thinking John Hamm. Then I was like, oh, it'd be fun to have Diddy, or you know, Will Smith. I think is a little too old. And then I also talked about Jennifer Lopez too in this role. Like she could have had, you know, now that it's chicken and waffles, that probably doesn't fit. But John Hamm had the kind of look of Robert Mitchum. But if you're going this route, yeah. like Chef, I don't know. I just thought Puff Daddy in a big movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so what I did is I kind of went with tone and attitude. And the Rod Anderson we have in the movie is a very dry, very like, ah, well, here I go, just doing more business stuff again. That's just kind of who I am. And I wanted to find someone else who kind of has that same sort of dry comedic delivery. Yeah. And so the actor is the guy from Everybody Hates Chris and Dear White People and Abbott Elementary, Tyler James Williams. Yeah. And you want someone who, like, I mean, I guess I own a chain of restaurants, but... I started doing this food truck. It was so cool. I really liked it, but that's in my past, I guess. It's Tyler James Williams. Yeah, I like it. He kind of looks like a young Eddie Murphy, too. A little bit. Yeah. I think that is, I think it's believable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's go yeah. with Tyler James. Yeah. Over. So then let me tell you about my pinky Benson. Maybe we'll just have Puff Daddy do the soundtrack. How about that compromise? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we need an excellent soundtrack, and I don't see why Diddy would be and this is the ideal remake. We can get anybody. And soundtrack by P. Diddy makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so that brings us to Pinky Benson. And if we're going to have a P. Diddy soundtrack, we need someone who can dance to it. We need someone who's been working on that that musical for years and years. But really where they st- stand to shine is uh, something that is legally distinct from TikTok. Yep. And so for me, that's Manny Jacinto. I don't know Manny Jacinto. Manny Jacinto is from The Good Place. He plays Jean Yu. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, good old Bortles himself. Got it. That's a good one. This one, I just went with actors who could kind of dance and do those things really well. The obvious choice was Justin Timberlake, Channing yeah. Tatum. But then I settled on a battle between either Jamie Foxx or Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, man. I feel... Between those two, I would push us towards Jamie Foxx, but how old is Jamie Foxx? He is 54. I mean, I could certainly see a 54-year-old having been working on a musical script for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston um, was another option, but I've just seen him dance and do some of the, the like tap dancing, singing stuff, and he's very talented, but... I think Manny might be a better call. Yeah. Broadway let's do that. Broadway musical maybe got one minor role as an understudy, but something happened and then has been trying to make a comeback writing this forever mm-hmm. and then becomes He he has the faded poster sitting in yeah. his uh living room. It's faded from time. He's like, Look at me, I, I was in this. Is your name on the poster? N- no. Is your name in the in the program? No. What did you do for it? 
I was in the background dancing. You couldn't see me, but I was there. Yeah. Background dancer number four. Exactly. Yeah. Good. I also, so I also threw this in just because we had Edith Head doing costume design. I was like, eh, I should probably put a name for costume design here. I'm not expecting you to have this. No, go for it. I found uh, the woman who was costume designer for a movie called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. She also did Mad Max Fury Road and Cruella. Cool. And that kind of felt right. So her, her name is Jenny Beaven. Jenny Beaven. Perfect. My friend Caitlin had recommended the guy who did the, the costumes for The Fifth Element, but like we're, she was like, but he's also notoriously difficult to work with, so maybe not. We need a little drama on set if we're going to remake this. I mean, I try so hard to avoid drama. The other two things I tend to do is I tend to do writer and director. And as much as you and I have basically broken and written this movie right now, it should probably be written by a woman. Mm-hmm. So did you have writer and director? I've met Dana Fox a few times, and I think she's fantastic and is very well-versed in a lot of different styles in Hollywood. So the, the the writer that I had, I got because I also thought she'd be really great. She was a writer on New Girl and Couples Retreat. She wrote this new movie called The Lost City, and she wrote the Cruella movie. Uh, I believe her name is Dana Fox. <laughs> wait, wait. Is who I have written really? on my piece of wow. paper. That's yeah, 100%. Crazy. Yeah. I met her. I mean, she's be, she'd be perfect for this, yeah. right? She sat next yeah. to me at a WGA event and just like, she's so boppity and like confident and nice. And she says, she's like, hi, I'm Dana. What's your name? And just, we sat down and had a great conversation. Yep. That's crazy. I mean, she, and she clearly has a love of fashion and she's clearly very funny because the Lost City is hilarious. Yeah. And it's a send up to Romancing the Stone. So she's got to love this yep. era of movies. Like if Dana Fox hasn't seen What a Way to Go, someone should get her a DVD because I think she'd love it. Absolutely. I can't believe we picked the same writer. That's pretty That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I love when that happens. Yeah. And That's so cool. Yeah. Lost City was surprising. Just from the trailer alone, I was, it was like almost revolting. And you watch it, you're like, no, that was a pretty damn good movie. Yeah. It was. Like, I was expecting something a little a lot more lighter and casual, but I was, like, fully invested. I thought it was great the whole way through. What a fun movie. Yeah, agreed. All right, so then for director, I had a, a female director, and she... This one was tougher for me. Dana Fox was kind of the slam dunk. Yeah. Um, but for this one, I wanted someone who kind of had done some more comedy, some musical stuff. And then she also directed the movie 27 Dresses. She did Love, Victor. She's done episodes of This Is Us. She did that show Dumplin' and... She did Hocus Pocus 2 a few months ago. And this is a director named Anne Fletcher. Cool. Yeah. Who I thought was fun, but I'm open to anybody. Who did you have for director? I went with someone that I also met. A quick backstory. I canceled my own wedding and sent out unsaved the dates. And on the weekend that my wife and I were supposed to get married, we went out to Palm Springs just to have a fun weekend. And we checked in and we met Susanna Fogel. Didn't know who she was at the time, but we were both checking in at the same time. And we ended up having some drinks and hanging out for the weekend. And she was great. Since then, I've followed her career. And I think she's really talented and has done, you know, action and then the drama stuff with the wild. So, but she's probably... Yeah, I think she's perfect. She's probably busy for 10 years. (laughs) Right. But it's ideal remake. We get whoever we want. And Susanna Fogel, perfect. I love it. Awesome. That's our cast. So let me take you through what a way to go again. (laughs) What a way to go. 2022. Starring Janelle Monet as Louisa May Fisher. Dr. Victoria Stevenson will be Tilda Swinton. Edgar Hopper will be Danny Pudi. Leonard Lenny Crawley will be Chris Pine. 
Larry Flint will be Donald Glover, but will be overshadowed by Polly Alana Glazer. Rod Anderson Jr. will be Tyler James Williams. Pinky Benson will be Manny Jacinto. Our soundtrack will be by P. Diddy and the costumes designed by Jenny Beaven. All of this will be written by Dana Fox and then directed by Susanna Fogel. That's what a way to go. Connor, thank you so much for watching this movie and remaking it with me. That was a blast. Thank you for having me. So now's the time if there's anything you want people to go do, if you want to I mean, I don't know what's happening with social media, but if you have a social media, you want people to follow. No, I just got rid of all of them and I'm solely doing only writers. So if there's any writers out there that are listening and want to join a community of about 300 writers, do table reads every week. We do kind of curated discussions and now we're figuring out a way to kind of make and produce our own stuff. So we're just getting started, but it's really fun. Sam uh, is a great member. So you can check us out at onlywriters.co. Yeah, and add someone who's not in charge of it and who has <laughs> less of an impetus to only say good things. I can only say good things. It's a wonderful community. It's very supportive. One of the things that we did recently is there was a, a big pilot swap that was organized where if anyone was interested, we submitted a pilot and then we're given seven other pilots to read. And so I just made it through my seven pilots I needed to read and they were all different and interesting and creative ways. And it's just a cool, interesting community. And if you want to kind of get in on a new burgeoning community of writers, this is a thing to do. So only writers is the way to go. That's great. Yeah. And and one thing too, that we've really been thinking a lot is like, writers shouldn't have to be solo artists, right? Like you shouldn't have to be good at structure and dialogue and having a relevant voice. Like we want to build a kind of community and a database where it's like almost a little bit like professional uh, writing partner dating where you could turn in a really good idea but if you're lacking in structure you could get paired with a really good structure writer if you're a younger writer who has a very relevant voice you could get paired with someone like me that has some credits and experience but maybe like my voice is not as relevant anymore so we're just trying to find different ways to mix and match people and to get stuff made and I've always thought just like on a personal note, just for a lot of the things that are for me that are kind of like happening right now, I always think that the partnership matches the project. So like my script Stuck that I wrote with Harry Valentine, we work together because we are the right writers to write Stuck. And then the uh, Pirates vs. Ninjas, the the animated feature that won the genre blast skip, script competition, we're the right writers for that. We're not necessarily going to be the correct writers for everything that any of us work on but for those projects we were the right writers to work together on this particular thing and i I find that compelling and interesting we're just getting started but thank you for all of your help so far in there and i look forward to a lot more interesting things coming out of only writers if people are interested in following me on what's left of twitter i am at sam gash s-a-m-g-a-s-c-h or you can follow the podcast ideal remake on twitter or maybe just follow us on instagram or Hey, the thing you can do, especially as we're heading into the holidays and my season finale next week, if you could take the time to go on Apple Podcasts and leave Ideal Remake a five-star review, that would be absolutely incredible. It's how people find the podcast. And because Ideal Remake is a part of the Dueling Genre Network, I always try to talk about one of the other Dueling Genre shows at the end of every episode. And this week, I'm talking about True Believers, which is hosted by Becca Robergen, Chris O'Connor, and Ray Ruzzo. Chris has been a guest on my show. And basically, True Believers is a podcast where after every single MCU thing, they get together and they discuss that movie or Disney Plus streaming service or some sort of MCU thing. So if you want to hear people talk about MCU, 
True Believers is the podcast for you. And so now I will end this episode the same way I end every episode. Connor, what is your favorite quote from the movie, What a Way to Go? Oh, I said it earlier. Okay. If I wasn't going with your mother dropped on a doorstep in a cage, I would go, what are you? An orthodox coward? (laughs) It's just such a weird... That line killed me. I love that line. Like, that's a line worth stealing. Yes. What are you? What are you, an orthodox coward? Yes. Perfect. So good.